0: Bomb, who is another giant cyberpunk pluskin fan, and here we are. We're talking about the role immortalized by Kurt Russell that is inspired Solid Snake and the Metal Gear Solid games. Originally intended for Charles Bronson, it evokes more than just John Carpenter's love of westerns, but also just you know I've I've heard everybody call it a one of the best pre diehard Hard type movies. Another fun kind of. Futuristic dystopia movie. Its theme has been referenced. It's often kind of compared and contrasted with other cult hits like Mad Max and Blade Runner as like the definitive like sci-fi movie. And even though everything that's illustrated in it didn't happen in 97, you know, it's still a giant uh franchise. People want more of this character if they don't want more of Jack Burden. So uh, with me, yeah, it's Robert Baum, and he's, we're, we're just going to list our favorite moments from primarily the first movie, just, wow well, why do people just love Mr. Pluskin?
1: <laughs> oh, he's a no BS kind of guy, I call <laughs> he's having-
0: framed, he doesn't, he's kind of like every other every kind other... of Punisher kind of character almost, too, where- he knows he has it rough, and he keeps winking to the audience, letting you know, "Hey, you know, you're gonna well, have fun." I, I forgot
1: music. where I read it. It might have been Starlog. I'm not sure if it was someone offering commentary. On... You've read it too?
0: Well, no, I just—I I wish more people knew about Starlog nowadays. Okay. You know, it seems like all
1: right. People that I'm about not sure if it was us. Russell saying this or someone else. It might have been Carpenter. Saying that uh, Snake Plissken is very much like a um, spag- sp- uh, spaghetti western hero, uh the man mm-hmm. with no name. I'm guessing. I mean, he's a man of few words. He's a man of yeah. actions. I mean, I think he, when he's first seen, you know, he doesn't say a word until he's brought to hawk's office. I mean, that kind of makes something of an impact. I mean, he doesn't seem to attempt to argue his way out. I mean, he's just resigned to. Um,
0: I think he realizes it would be pointless so he's focused more on just how do I get out of here and obviously I I think he's just relatable because you know going in this deal is too good to be true this mm-hmm. whole you know do this you gain your freedom and he's you know he calls them on it in both movies each time
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's literally it and he's like yeah I know I'm not there's no way you're gonna let me go free because you guys are all about just you got to do time indefinitely until you die here in this crappy prison in the future. Well, I think that's probably the first type of blackmail I've ever
1: heard of having bombs implanted in you, but um right? Okay. But I mean, he he
0: definitely shows
1: his attitude of, hey, I got nothing to lose when he tries to uh, strangle Hauk. I mean, I guess he was hoping that he would uh, kind of hoist him on his own petard and get the uh, charges burnt out. But, uh, you know, (laughs) it would have been interesting if you would have seen a character who wound up either getting them um, destroy him or perhaps finding out oh, this was just a uh, ruse we cooked up to kind of get you to cooperate, much as what <laughs> happens in the second film.
0: Yeah. Some of that same kind of deal. Yeah. Just the whole... just And you you have his sympathy because you already got, again, enough backstory knowing that whatever he did, he was framed for it. It was a bad deal. And then... I didn't know he things, was framed.
1: I guess I thought, I thought, thought that framed. Halk was just kind of reading you know the uh rap sheet and uh I gather you have seen or have heard there was a scene edited out of the film and on a special edition disc I don't know why they didn't simply include it in the film it was just supplemental material they show the robbery that um wound up getting uh, Snake's uh, butt in the sling but I'm guessing that Fresno Bob who Snake refers to when he uh confronts a uh, brain was probably one of the people who was on one of their operations
0: yeah I mean it's it's a bit of everything I mean I'm I mean you get that he's probably not the kind of guy who's like gonna do something extremely petty like well he well he's mercenary essentially he's a mercenary but he's also the kind who's just he's very self-aware of his infamous reputation instead of being someone who's just like we don't know anything about like anyone could play this role or anything like that just well
1: well russell and carpenter did have a working relationship going back to that elvis tv movie
0: right i I just mean just overall like it, oh, okay, okay worse their hands it could have been totally like misfired but hmm. But it did
1: sort of pave the way for the vigilante uh, anti heroes of the '80s. Whether it's Rambo, whether it's um, I'm not going to say the vein of Chuck Norris because Chuck Norris always plays a hero, but I guess <laughs> making the anti uh, maybe perhaps Michael Bean in the in the first Terminator film. But uh,
0: I like that contrast. That same kind of rough character, you know, gritty. And
1: actually, I'm guessing you know that among. James Cameron's first uh, uh, initial gigs mm-hmm. pre Terminator was being an art director, and I think not as well known
0: create... for some reason. I don't know why. beg pardon. I don't know why his art direction on this, you know, is not as well known because, like, without that, the movie would be so different.
1: Well, I guess I'm wondering if, given that the work is New World, that I guess for, I mean, for the New World crew, I guess it was kind of like, you know, we'll just take. Person A and 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 I guess just knowing them more for I mean I gather unless you're a true film aficionado most people don't don't say Hey I want to st- I want to watch the end credits so I can see who was a lighting cameraman Yeah
0: but he didn't even get was... credit I don't think <laughs> Oh
1: he did he was credited as Jim Cameron if you look at the uh, credits oh, Okay I thought he didn't get a credit <laughs> okay. Well uh, well according to this film commentator in the Philadelphia area he said that. Uh, Even the person who holds Steven Spielberg's hat gets a credit, but I'm sure you know that there's no shortage of films where they're – thanks to IMDb, someone will insert credits of an actor who's uncredited in a film or a technician or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of ways to go about it. It's – half the time you don't know if it's just a producer on set adding the credits pre-movie coming out or what. (laughs) But
1: Yeah. Because there's no mention in the film made that I'm pretty sure the voiceover done at the beginning kind of giving you um, kind of a um, truncated, capsulated uh, sense of what awaits someone in uh, in New York. I believe that's Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, when they okay. show the graphic of the island and showing how a uh, the army is encamped around it and they built the containment uh, uh, wall and noting that the waterways are mined and then says the rules are simple. Once you go in, you don't come out.
0: Oh, wow. I'm looking it up now. So, yeah, that is her as the computer. Hmm. And voice. I believe
1: she also uses that. She also does the same in Escape from L.A. But I guess. As far as highlights of Escape from New York, I mean, he, Kurt Russell showing uh, that he doesn't, I mean, that he, he's probably more determined to save his skin. And uh, I guess that's obviously the crux of the mission because, you know, when mm-hmm. he's zeroing in on the SIG pulse, I'm unaware that it's worn by uh, probably a lifer and I guess a faceless lifer that, you know, he, um, uh, the first thing he does is he renders it inoperable and then he has to explain uh you know this i know what you guys are uh, reading but it's not the president and uh, putting the uh micro i mean the walkie-talkie that's that's a that's a curiosity given that it's future and someone using a walkie-talkie but uh which <laughs> i mean when's the last time I don't recall the last time I ever heard someone use a walkie-talkie, but uh, and uh, <laughs> die hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but Seven I mean, years later, but yeah. But I mean, but you know, it took me a while i, I uh, to realize that the performers doing the musical review that's a drag, um, um, troupe, and it's kind of strange that the only women you see in the film. Are the one who kurt russell bumps into who's played by his then soon-to-be ex-wife Susan Hubley, and i don't think she even has a name i think she's credited as girl but about the only one who is credited obviously we can thank the director for that as adrian barbeau yeah
0: Yeah. and and they were married i think too as well Mm -hmm. yeah well
1: and uh, but i guess scenes that kind of you know made an impact or when russell when he uh fires uh uh from the i don't i guess that was a machine gun into the wall i mean that seems almost pseudo spaghetti westernish when he's fires and form a shape to, i guess i guess it's probably easier than just simply jumping through the wall but uh even though kurt russell in an interview said that uh, i'm not sure if this was his take on it that carpet or carpenter told him that is a cross between a ninja and darth vader oh wow <laughs> <laughs> but uh when um he uh winds up um i I guess he's someone who pain must not bother him because he gets the arrow uh delivered into his leg at the very moment that he uh hurls the star at the um whichever one of those thugs was holding the president, but I guess you do hear the sound of a grunt on. And then when the Duke uh, closes in and um, attempts to extract info out of him, by, uh, I guess he's shoving the arrow further into his leg. And, of course, the wrestling, the gladiatorial uh, match with that hulking brute uh, named Slag, played by a professional grappler named Ox Baker, who I actually had signed my Escape from New York one sheet at a... Um, convention something on the east coast called chiller which has been mm-hmm. called weird stock and um uh, of, of course i mean you can cite david and goliath you can cite well later rocky and drago and uh, <laughs> i'm not sure if it's on the commentary track but i read somewhere maybe heard somewhere that when ox baker came into the picture that he didn't know about pulling punches and not going at it full bore and some of what <laughs> you see on that on the film is not the result of um uh, of great editing or brilliant co- a brilliant fight choreography but it's literally uh Russell just trying to um not to kill him um, yeah i mean to i mean i i'd hate to think what it might be like if uh one of those uh bats with the nails had connected with
0: him mm mm-hmm. mhm Because it's an intense scene, and it does look like they're struggling, but yeah, it was back in the day before we had all the safety regulations we didn't know. And
1: CGI.
0: Well, that too. uh,
1: (laughs) But I mean, uh, well, you look at Hauk is pretty much a no-nonsense guy, because I gather it's taken a while to realize that that operation was basically sort of an unsanctioned thing, and he took a maverick approach to it, which... Mm -hmm. uh, I I guess – I I forgot what – I think the secretary of state was played by – was named Romero, who was played by Charles Cyphers, who was sort of a regular in Carpenter films, at least Mm -hmm. Halloween and Halloween 2. And he's along with uh, Tom Atkins, who I guess seems like he's almost more sympathetic to Snake or at least admires him. Willing to give him a chance as opposed to have him be a hard-ass like Van Cleef's character. Well, I guess you could chalk up, well, again, the spaghetti western. Van Cleef did a few of those. and mm-hmm. um, But you almost get the impression that I really hate it in films when you see a character identified in the credits, but you never hear the name mentioned, even though, I mean, I gather the tech guy's name, Cronenberg. Uh, which I gather <laughs> when, uh, because I guess Carpenter in jokes George Romero and uh, David Cronenberg. All these the icons. We, yeah. Yeah. Only time you hear um, the name Cronenberg is when he takes that humongous, um, I guess, I think that's more of a police uh, walkie talkie device of the 80s or 60s compared to the few. Well, of course, no one knew cell phones were on the way. Um, but. Uh, um, when I mean, when he alerts Cronenberg to, I guess, be ready with his equipment to um defuse the bomb, and those last, I guess, maybe last 10 minutes before he makes it over are just so full of tension. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. you think that the what if the Duke closes in, but especially when you see the um escape line shut off and Snake is basically you know. It's like saying, hey, come on, get this thing started. I got these bombs in me that are going to explode and yeah. waiting for the president. I mean, not knowing that the president anymore. who, uh, sure, uh, I mean, of course, I'm sure that that essentially is an eventuality that Snake kicking the gun out of uh, the Duke's hands as opposed to just grabbing it and, and, yeah. uh, and uh doing away with him but i gather they do a
0: heavy implication you know if you did a blockbuster like this nowadays i'm sure they would spend way too much time on whether or not he's armed with a bomb and make a big deal out of it even if it ultimately isn't really much to do with the main plot but it's just so cool to see them kind of really just chill out and just kind of just focus on the whole mission and then they allow for allow more for surprises, surprises. Naturally, instead
1: of well, you know. I gather you can chalk up the surprises starting when,
0: uh, cabbie saving the day by uh, uh just driving. Oh yeah, by. that's some unlikely allies, and yeah. it's just so much fun to also see a man having to use resources. You know, he doesn't even know if his guns are going to work all that great against yeah. whatever he's in for. Uh, uh, the various anytime snake is like sneaking around, that's always just very intriguing because you're already kind of drawn to it naturally instead of wondering, okay, where's this going? It's just so cool to see a low budget drive-in feature. Well, you kind of
1: have to wonder where all the people are. I mean, sure, they're catching the show as Cabby does, but I mean, mean, (laughs) given that this is a maximum security prison, I sort of think of maximum security as teeming with (laughs) the most, uh, I mean, murderers and cutthroats, whereas at times it seems like they have to wait a while and go a distance to find anything. Uh-huh. Of course, you realize the impact is there when they said, stay off Broadway, it says, what's wrong with Broadway? And you find the heads on the pikes. And <laughs> um, and of course, uh, I think his name is John Deal, who's just credited as Punk, who when Halk arrives with the police force uh, trying to perhaps reason before utilizing his plan and the punk um whole showing off the severed finger of the president i forgot
0: about that yeah
1: and and you know and how being okay i'm sure he realizes i can't argue with this guy but uh, i mean that guy being a few words and the only thing he does is hiss and he says oh i got this hat from cappy and um uh, but uh, also you kind of have to wonder when they uh, get... I mean, when Brain is is contemplating use of a glider to uh, escape, I had the impression a glider is something that you... I mean, as Pliskin says, it's not exactly the most uh, dependable craft to uh, leave in because I think that with a glider, it has to be towed by a plane or something.
0: I mean, it at least... Because it already opened it up as an unusual kind of sci-fi device you kind of just let it go because you're just like well they cared enough about making sure you were even invested in this unusual gimmick in the first place i mean Mm. so i often let it slide versus other movies where they're just saying these blatant you know sci-fi info which they haven't done any research on is like they they pretty much went for just. You know, we made our own rules, and if there's one thing this guy, I mean, like you said before, knows how to do, he knows how to make an unusual, unusually bold escape. Because like you say, kind of like Kyle Reese, he's good at just kind of getting up. I mean, even before we had all the other, again, John McClane's and Jason Bourne's of the world, it's just so cool to see someone who was kind of the original Tomb Raider, just someone who... I mean, he doesn't act like a scavenger, but he still has scavenging skills, you know, if we'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, For instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. No, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, Nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous i don't even know where to anyways uh that'll do it from all of us here at culture shock thanks for listening and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So, if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at WhoWouldWinShow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu rays, we time shift. The Time Shifters Podcast. Now back to the feature presentation. Let's say they pulled. Well, he was special
1: forces, if you recall. He says special forces lieutenant. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it says black light and you know uh, purple Heart. So he's obviously someone who's been in a scrape or two. And oh, and guessing given when he
0: uses gunplay, it is almost much like Rambo, where you're getting a sense of just. Like he doesn't even feel all the blood, sweat, and tears around him when he's in that zone. So it's- well, I
1: think that Escape from New York sort of went in the testosterone direction that seemed to be commonplace in a lot of the later '80s films, particularly those produced by Ken and particularly those produced by Joel Silver. <laughs> but I guess it sort of paved the way, even though I gather that that terminology was not exactly in vogue yet. But um, uh, but also. Also, I guess maybe, okay, I'm sure that scripting is obviously not one of the things they were looking at, but I find it weird that you don't hear even a phone call from the vice president, the closest thing you got is Secretary of State. Okay, I realize, you know, the forum with um, the Hartford Summit, but uh, also, when you think that Donald Pleasance is an English guy, uh, he, and Carpenter cited him as his favorite actor, you know he said something that, you know, just imagine if Thatcher and Reagan had a child, this would be it. But uh, yeah, I, and I know. I know the Escape Pod was something that um, was what prompted uh, the scriptwriter of Air Force One to include that now. I gather the Air Force One does not have an escape pod. I don't even know what's aboard it, but uh, I mean, um, but I'm sh- I'm not sure if you know this, but I think that the uh, woman who's hijacked the plane was played by Nancy Loomis, I believe, who plays Laurie Strode's friend in Halloween. And among the Secret Service detail, one of them is played by Stephen Ford, who was, uh, I think, the eldest of President Gerald yeah, Ford, Ronald
0: Ford, yeah, and yeah. he's. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff, uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of movies and shows, often playing a marine or a general guy. Um, but yeah, there there's some interesting. Well, I gather films.
1: his. I guess maybe maybe one of his biggest roles was one of Meg Ryan's boyfriends and When Harry Met Sally, the one she later is basically a mess crying over. I think his name is Joe, who it turns out is a friend of Billy Crystal's character. But going back to Escape from New York, you know the way it ends. Uh, I'm sure if you don't mind my saying, I mean everyone's had. Nearly 42 years to have seen the film, but I mean, when you think that at the end, you know, you have the impression that okay, Pliskin's mission is done and he can do as he wishes. When he takes the, uh, I, I'm, I guess he's hoisting the president on his own petard. Not that he's saying I don't care if the world ends, but I mean, when <laughs> you think that he's in there, you know, to make sure that the president gets to the Hartford summit and has the plays the tape. And the president winds up with egg on his face playing bandstand boogie while Snake takes the actual tape and destroys it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh when when it goes all apeshit in like the final hours of either movie. But I mean when he, but I mean when
1: he goes from saying originally, call me Snake and then ending with the name's Pliskin. I mean um um I'm not sure what that – I mean, maybe that was improvised by Kurt Russell, but
0: uh, I – There's a lot of drugs on set.
1: But I prefer the darker tone of Escape from New York to Escape from L.A. I mean, Escape from the, L.A. is fun, but I don't like it when you shift the tone so dramatically because <laughs> the way Escape from L.A. seemed uh, marketed, it almost looked like it was an epic heavy metal uh, rock opera.
0: They probably got studio nodes for the Well, yeah, it was a Paramount
1: release, and I think it was in the neighborhood of $50 million. And uh, I I guess because – I guess it fell prey to the habit that Terminator 2 did, that essentially you're kind of making it bigger. You're making it louder. You're making it more fun, even though I regard Escape from New York as I'm sure that sequels are an inevitability that they – recycle and rehash um mm-hmm. prior material but i mean uh i'm sure that you could also cite various aspects uh you know i think uh bringing in the bruce campbell cameo i think he's the uh surgeon general and <laughs> yeah. i don't know where i guess valeria golino is supposed to be the adrian barbeau role steve buscemi is supposed to be the ernest Borgnine role and stacy keach is the um um Lee Van Cleeferell.
0: I mean, if you're gonna redo it, you might as well redo it with some other capable character actors. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell Peter Fonda was doing in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, you get, I mean,
1: you get the impression that you know he's a surfer guy. I mean, I, I gather it's probably meant to evoke Easy Rider, but uh, probably. Uh, I mean, because I mean, he to to many, he's regarded as an icon of counterculture thanks to that <laughs> film, and uh, right. Um. But I'd be curious to look at them back to back. uh, But I guess I kind of shudder when I think, okay, I'm sure it's marketing when you have a uh, film where it's wall to wall, you know, um, I, I guess, I think nothing to me screams cheesiness quite like a song written for a film when the original that, songs were you know more background music as opposed to i mean i forgot what group did the the theme song to escape from la i mean as it was, it was hearing, i think well i don't know i don't think it was the coupe devils i mean i know oh, you're talking did, the metal he, music ah. yeah i mean uh i mean i know that the opening theme to it is just basically an amped up more louder version of what you had in the original but um of course again you have a, a you have a stealth craft and but I guess when I think that the whole um uh thing of of him making it to the next phase is that a uh, game of uh I guess you could call it the ultimate game of horse with him playing basketball with a yeah. ball <laughs> I mean <laughs> uh, yeah I,
0: mean, you know, I I got a gist from that as well especially because I would play a, a lot of game of horses with relatives and so it was always just weird having to but to the film's credit you actually
1: do see what happens when someone does not succeed because i think before snake takes the court you actually see someone who cuervo jones decides to uh, do away with
0: yeah it's not a fair game really in any stretch of the imagination imagination. and it's just interesting just seeing them really just go for it you don't. But I mean, as as charismatic
1: as George Korofas can be, and I'm guessing that perhaps he was trying to say to the public, uh, "Please forget that I played Christopher Columbus in that movie. This is me trying to start anew." That um, the Christopher Columbus the discovery film from 1992, oh God, with yeah, with Marlon Brandt, uh, top billing Marlon Brando with Tom Selleck, which originally Timothy Dalton was supposed to star in, by the way, but. Um, and uh, I know that there were the dueling Columbus projects, but, uh, but, uh, among speaking of bond, Robert Davi is in it as a Bene- future Oscar winner, Benicio del Toro, who were in license to yeah. kill. But, and <laughs> I regard Dalton's bond as almost being impacted by the whole anti-hero bent of the eighties. And uh, oh, a thousand percent. Hey. Even though I'm sure critics didn't exactly pick up on that. I'm sure that they always think, Oh, this he's following in the footsteps of connery and more whereas i know talk about bond is not relevant but i mean he was just trying to bring bond into the modern era modern era where you have um you know men of action played he by was the doing his
0: job school. and they just hated it when they kept changing it up even though that was the only thing they could do to make each person stand out it's the same thing with all the different sherlock holmes robin hoods mm-hmm. batmans and it's just Annoying when you're having to deal with critics who don't seem to know what they want, let alone audiences at that point kind of didn't know what they wanted either. they just like, oh, well, he sucks or he's good, but he's not as good as this person. But I
1: wonder if if, if perhaps uh, Escape from New York was essentially a case of throwing too many cooks in the stew because the screenplay is credited to Carpenter, Russell, and – uh carpenters frequent producing partner deborah hill whereas i'm guessing maybe nick castle maybe he bowed out but i guess um you know sure it's it's got a a wonderful array of techno things i mean like the stealth sub and uh -hmm. you know utilizing i guess whatever that hologram thing was and uh finding that the recording disc is um they they pulled the switcheroo again, but I guess when I thought the hologram, I couldn't be reminded of that device Schwarzenegger employs in Total Recall. If you recall
0: that gizmo, I wouldn't be surprised at any cyberpunk kind of blockbuster disaster dystopia. Mm. They're going to reuse some of the same props. You know? <laughs> so. But
1: you kind of have to wonder if they kind of looked through a directory of uh, of actors and actresses <laughs> who's who had done genre fair because, uh, Stacey Keach's. Um, assistant or I don't know what you'd call her is played by Michelle Forbes who mm-hmm. any uh loyal follower of Star Trek and Next Generation recalls her as Ensign Rowe
0: yeah I'm so was glad to Joran. see her return recently on Picard I'm not giving spoilers but it was just interesting how yeah she at this point was getting out of sci-fi Fair, but she still would return with something like this or Battlestar Galactica so it was just cool to see
1: Oh, she was in the the new Galactica. I, oh, yeah. That I I forgot what role, yeah. but I I kind of didn't exactly watch that because I didn't protest it. But I was a I'm a loyal fan of the original. I mean, I feel okay. They're allowed to make what they want, but I guess I feel I don't want my recollection of the old show to be kind of um, even though I know critics loved this one and compared to the old one. But back to Snake Plissken, I I want, I wonder why. Maybe it was just an afterthought that. Lee Van Cleef introduced him as D. Plissken. Never once did you he ever hear what the D stood for, but maybe that's just clutching at straws.
0: I didn't get that far. I never thought of that. Uh, but uh, overall, I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely, if I met, if the character was real, I would call him to his face, you know, I'd just say snake just up front. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, uh, again, you have the motley crew of barbarians, but I mean, but, uh, um, you know, uh, you get the impression that uh, I guess they're thinking ahead. Because if you recall when um, Snake is asking, uh, are you going to give me the antidote? And then he um, opens fire with that humongous cannon of a gun. uh, (laughs) uh, And I... you know, you would think that a guy would kind of be on to all the schemes or what have you. Not that he would know exactly that they packed the um, first set of rounds as blanks, but, um, um but I gather that Stacy Keach—he done, I think, the class of '99, and I gather that even though he sort of rehabbed himself after that horrible episode when he was doing that. Uh, uh, rebooting of Mike Hammer where he, uh, was nabbed for cocaine when he was leaving England and, uh, Oh no,
0: I didn't know about that. Okay,
1: okay. Well, I mean, I gather he sought to, you know, kind of repair his image and reputation because it, I mean, I guess he had a pretty squeaky clean image overall, even though Mike Hammer was a, um, anti-hero and, mm-hmm. uh, he played Sergeant Stadenko in Up in Smoke, if you recall, but, um, yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, I i mean, I i gather that there are probably, no shame in it, that there were probably actors who were in it because they had to pay their mortgage or whatever. I mean, because I think that when Cliff Robertson did that film, he was kind of, I'm not going to say on the skids necessarily, but I heard he had a drinking habit, and I think that's what uh, caused him to be let go of from Falcon Crest. But, of course, he had a rich genre past, guesting on two episodes of the twilight zone and the film brainstorm and eventually uncle ben and spider-man
0: wow
1: (laughs) it's mouthful i mean but i mean it's obvious that it has the influence of the religious right because you get the impression that you know um robertson's president is um he's based in lynchburg which was basically the home base of Jerry Falwell. And I think that he's citing, you know, something from the Bible. He says, you know, like the mighty fist, I don't recall the mighty fist of Gamora and the president is now elected for life. I mean, um, you kind of have to think, not trying to get into politics, what that could have, what, what that could have meant in a recent election.
0: I, I think they were doing their best. Yeah, to I know it's for fun. Addiction. I
1: mean, for, I mean, satire, parody. I mean, I gather that... Um,
0: I just mean, I, I think, think they're just predicting because, I mean, they had already predicted 97 and it hadn't gone to hell just yet. But that at the same time, they're just like,
1: well, I mean... But I also heard that Carpenter's They Live was basically his commentary on uh, the Reagan era. But uh, um, I need to see that again. I mean, but... Uh, <laughs> But I mean, I'm not not trying to go all all over the place. But I guess uh, I don't know if they were ever looking to make another escape movie. I mean, I'm they, guessing they've
0: been trying to do the remake, but in every other name has been attached. Uh, I've heard rumors of lately uh, Wyatt Russell should be the next, and I don't mm. know. I'm just like at this point, I'd rather they do more comic books since the character's nah, done so well there.
1: Well, I guess you know. Um, you can look at there being films of a not necessarily the same story, but similar approach. I mean, in some way, I regard demolition man almost <laughs> falling along the same path, if you will,
0: You're right, although it's even more satirically.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it kind of has the tone of fun darkness. I mean, okay, you can you can say that, you know, Kurt Russell, you know, you can't envision anyone else as the hero, just no. like I'm sure some people, most people probably can't envision anyone else playing Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. They can't envision anyone else playing a Terminator except for Schwarzenegger. But,
0: um, I mean, uh, I think because did Escape from LA underperform? Uh, I mean,
1: it, it would have made well, its
0: money back by now. I'm, with not, all the I'm not even, hearings. I
1: don't know if it made its money back. Of course, I'm presuming you know that what a film makes stateside is a very small piece of the pie compared to what it does overseas, because,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think that India is regarded as basically the film capital. Um, And I guess I'm not yep. sure how, how big Khan plays into it, but that's a place where the deals are made and okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They give out awards and I'm presuming that I'm sure, you know, that many a time with, a film, it'll be in in the States, it'll be a release by okay, 20th Century Fox, but overseas, like for instance with Titanic, in America I think it was a Fox release, but overseas it was Paramount, and I mm-hmm. guess maybe they split up the rights because I believe the video release is Paramount Home Video.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, but
1: I, I mean, you hear about many companies splitting the bill like towering inferno that that's a warner warner brothers 20th century fox production i think that was more a case of two studios having properties that they wanted to make and they put their heads together and they uh fused them into one but um uh but i mean i think i heard somewhere unless i'm hearing someone offering uh kind of their own kind of Sarcastic comment that maybe the next film might be Escape from the Moon. <laughs> yeah. But a film that I look at in a similar vein, uh albeit with a lower budget, was a uh, film called Fortress, which Christopher Lambert did in the yeah. early
0: nineties. 90s. Nineties 90s were a wonderful time in terms of just basically just getting ridiculous to...
1: adventure. That and... well, okay? I mean, maybe that's a bit too hard to call it ridiculous, but I mean.
0: I guess I, I get you what know. you're saying. I think others do because, okay. well, we're, we're realizing that. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, with all the other blockbusters, you know, just if you took all the budget away from, I mean, you can still call, say, a big budget blockbuster like Spielberg has called Indiana Jones, you know, B pictures. Because again, he's referencing Treasure of the Sierra Madre and all the old serials before he inserts
1: but I his James
0: Bond moments. Within it was you.
1: also sort of a semi risk, if I may interrupt, that. I don't know the finer details, but I'm guessing that probably through uh, late-night screenings, uh, viewings on cable and video cassette sales, that that's what prompted um, the idea of a sequel. And, uh, of course, many years in the making, um, that's also what prompted uh, Terminator to have a sequel, because even though I think it made its money back at the box office, a
0: bigger killing on home video, cable, etc they didn't think it was going to do good and it did surprisingly well it was just yeah. one of those cheapies they made to just make easy money and it was just well i i forgot what the big winner
1: was the summer of 96 when escape from la came out okay.
0: I think it was probably Star Trek: First Contact or one of those. No, no,
1: actually, that was uh, a November
0: or December release. Oh, you're talking about in the thick of the summer, uh, probably. Well, Independence Day, I guess, probably would have been the big. Oh um... yeah, and I'm sure Executive Decision, Broken Arrow, and even the
1: Executive Decision and Broken Arrow were in February or March, I believe. Well, I just mean
0: in general, they were were making some giant money for sure. Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, like you say, I think there's because the character just the love for him won't ever go away i think everyone's doing their best to just keep it alive
1: <laughs> well i think that i'm not sure if russell was ever offered die hard but the executive decision seems to fall in a die hard vein of course you yeah. get the impression that it's kind of you know sticking i mean it try it's basically a film that's fun even though you get the impression that you know the world is uh is it might meet its end or at least the eastern seaboard which i guess some people would say as long as it takes out new jersey we don't care but i mean (laughs) i guess the tone is established when kurt russell arrives on the scene in his tux and john leguizamo says who's this 007
0: (laughs) yeah i i think that's generally why joel silver got him on that major blockbuster because i mean To just take all these other 90s faces, he just knew that he had to follow suit with do a send up of those fun 70s airport type disaster movies that, you know, Die Hard was trying to kind of opened up the door and say we can keep doing these, you know. Into the world, or hostage takeovers, or terrorism. Well, I'm sure I'm sure audiences were delighted to find that Steven
1: Seagal did not make it to the end.
0: Oh yeah, uh, there's a great podcast called "How Not to Make a Movie," and they talk about all the other infamous, you know, temper tantrums of still once respected producer Joel Silver, and he's taught he's literally shouting while they're making the infamous "Stills from the Crypt" second movie, and he is just like, "No, no, I'm going to pay Seagal all this money." But he's going to die. No
1: well, he also did the film, I think, Exit Wounds, which was a Seagal production, mm-hmm. which co-starred Dmx and had Tom Arnold. But right, uh, I think that uh, Steve Martin's character in the film Grand Canyon is meant to be a parody of Joel Silver, as is uh, Rick Moranis's, you know, hyperactive businessman mm-hmm. in a film that didn't exactly do well called Head Office. <laughs> I see what it was I think that. an eighty-five release, but uh, among the cast is Judge Reinhold, Jane Seymour. I know Danny DeVito, that
0: but I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, like he was just he was just starting, so I would not doubt that they I mean, cause it's definitely possible because like that that's for instance how they came up with the character Minnie Me. They got word that a dwarf actor on Island of Dr. Morale had punched a new line cinema executive. And one person heard that story, and they thought, "Well, we're making a spy parody. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's have a dwarf character who does exactly that. He punches people in their manhood." And so Minnie me was born. Vern Troia was in uh, Island of Doctor Moreau. No, no, no. The okay. character was formed from a okay infamous on set incident where mm-hmm. a dwarf actor who was pretty well respected by, uh, you know, I had Madonna. the impression no one respected that film. No, no. I'm just saying that okay, the actor okay, Marlon Brando had basically stroked his ego and he decided, right. well, this guy's being a prick to everybody. Maybe I can be too. And it was just an ongoing process to where it was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but uh, I don't know what to
1: – what's carp? I mean, I know Carpenter has done concerts and I think that he's devoted his time to comic books, but has he – Pretty much by and large left the film industry. I seem to recall he did a low budget film called The Ward, but I guess I'm wondering if it was because he sought to kind of keep afloat doing Hollywood films and they didn't do business. I mean there was I
0: think he's uh, like Joe Dante. He's he's not as cynical, but he is kind of like one of those he knows he'll always have a loyal fan base, but he's just <laughs> got very annoyed, I think, at the I mean, when you get annoyed at constantly being told, hey, I don't like your movie that's really just not helpful to anybody. So I think he just got to where he was just like, well. Well, maybe one day Carpenter will will, will write his memoirs
1: because I'm sure there's got to be an audience for that. I know that he's done a lot of uh, autograph shows and uh, believe me, I'd love to be able to cough up the 150 for his signature.
0: (laughs) Right. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he'll keep doing conventions at this point. He's always been a fan favorite there and... He's joked around even when people have asked him about this or that, and he's done the whole "who cares" because I think that's just it. When you're constantly rejected, I think you just say, "Well, well, on. I, I can't, I can't help but wonder if Toby Hooper had a
1: similar kind of experience." Because, totally
0: did. Yeah. You no, know,
1: he. I mean, for I mean, Poltergeist. You know, that would have been ample to kind of keep his name alive, and yet. He basically, I think some of his last works were some made-for-TV projects, but Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't quite realize how his work for Canon pretty much was the death knell to his career, because I had I known that, when I saw him at a Fangoria convention, I asked him benignly uh, about his experiences of working for Canon. Maybe he just felt a need to be diplomatic and said, well, it was interesting working for those guys, because, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that... I'm wondering if deep down he's saying "Ugh, not mention of those guys again
0: yeah it's it's a bit of a predicament i i on that same tells from the Crypt podcast when they had him direct a few episodes of that and perversions of science they pretty much he was running behind and i think at that point he was so used to having projects taken away from him when he was behind schedule and they they told him to just relax you know you're you're Toby, you're one of the greats, we're going to work with you and give you a, you know, a way to work through this emergency. And he was so taken aback, he's like, wow, you guys are actually helpful. <laughs> so I think he just had a lot of bad encounters on a lot of his independent movies. I mean, it was already bad enough that his claim to fame, you know, Texas Chainsaw, you know, was owned by mobsters. So I think... I didn't know that part. Yeah, they they... They they made all this money until finally some giant corporation bought it back. But it was just one of those where I think because of much like Carpenter's like many of these 70s, 80s cult favorites been betrayed by 3D producers and what have you, I think same kind of deal here. He when something nice happened to him, you know, he still had to kind of sit down, breathe, and take it in because not used to being that, you know, respected.
1: Well, um, I'm wondering if perhaps, I don't know what went on behind the scenes, that it was said that even though he was credited as a producer, that it was said that Spielberg was really uh, the force on the uh, set yeah, that, uh, it's been, directing Poltergeist.
0: It's been proven by the cast that it was total bullshit. He's just a producer. But mm-hmm. That's what producers do. They will come in, they'll film some reshoots. Do some second unit. I mean, what he was doing was Spielberg was doing was no different than The Goonies or Arachnophobia. Is literally just come in, get some insert shots, or telling Joe Dante, "Hey, you're doing a good job. Just don't kill the mom and gremlins, and everyone will be happy." You know,
1: <laughs> because I recall having read somewhere again, not trying to interrupt that, uh, when Stallone did Cobra and later Over the Top, <laughs> even though uh, Over the Top was credited to Menachem Golan, schlockmeister Extraordinaire. And, uh Cobra his two his two- picture deal with Canon that uh George P cosmomantos directed Cobra he previously directed uh Rambo first blood part 2 and later did Leviathan and Tombstone that I think that uh Stallone did quite a bit of the directing on both yeah films. he
0: didn't do any of the directing and I, I was when I, when I heard those stories that was cool to see it be confirmed because going back to escape from Athena where cosmomos was first a big deal he was doing all these overseas European Italian movies World War II pictures and Vic Armstrong in his book yes the famous Indiana Jones stunt coordinator stunt double that oh that, did you say Dick it's I thought it's Vic Armstrong I, I said Vic Armstrong sorry and, uh here we go he basically he reshot a good chunk of the movie because you know that's what you do when you're a second unit director and everything. Because long story short, the entire Italian crew was like refusing to listen to the director Cosmatos because he was basically another one of those hot shots, very douchey, very rude. And that's, so- that's a curiosity of a
1: film because I guess when you think that, okay, Roger Moore playing a Nazi, but I mean, okay, I guess because it's Roger Moore, he's a gentleman Nazi. And it almost seems to evoke a vibe of, just like the most outrageous uh, guest cast on Love Boat you could think of.
0: Uh, It it was definitely a bizarre cast, and they were drawing, you know, they were big names that drew crowds, so they were doing their job, but uh, Cosmatos was basically one of those, like, he just, however his style of direction, he... He didn't it didn't take long for him to piss off a bunch of people. I don't <laughs> know was, what his style was. I guess I thought that he was I don't think he had like much of one a gun
1: for hire for lack of a better He
0: was he was a gun up for hire, but yeah, what by the time he came to Hollywood and Stallone made him his bitch. He basically was just one of those who just every movie he worked on, he basically he got taken over. And I mean that's why Kurt Russell directed most of Tombstone. I didn't know I did I that yeah. I didn't hear. Cowboys in Indians magazine, or one of those interviewed him, and it was one of those you were so surprised that the Directors Guild didn't have it. Kind of like the Spielberg and the Polter guys didn't file a lawsuit saying what what the hell happened back in this day. But that's just it. Cosmoto's has since passed away, and he was one yes. of those. Don't tell anyone I'm a hack because you know I want I want I want my residuals and everything. But it was one of those. Yeah, he they had started entangling cash together, which I think again. The Pliskan character is a perfect like foreshadowing of the future Kurt Russell we end up seeing, but it was just, you know, with the thing and all, but it was just so cool to know that, you know, uh this director who even when he wasn't doing his job, like they, they were they all worked it out peacefully and got it done. But I, I do think it's interesting how um uh, westerns are a dying deal. but like these characters are all that they've all played throughout time are basically cowboys they just happen to be you know special forces guys you know
1: well i mean i i think that you can make a case for just their don't know i don't know how many decades ago but uh in the 60s there was a show series called the rat patrol which basically mm-hmm. was a world war ii era series but by right and you? large it was i guess you could say it was a almost playing the allies and the africa corps as, as basically cowboys and indians
0: thousand percent great 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 show uh if they ever did a reimagination of it I would definitely like an apocalyptic version of it and they have a pluskin type inspired
1: character <laughs> well actually it's kind of funny that I mentioned uh rap patrol because the star of that series Christopher George uh played the nemesis in the Canon release enter the ninja
0: yeah 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 uh, a lot of these 70s actors who made it big on tv they would now it wasn't far eh, long after until they decided hey you know I'm, I'm gonna be in some of these junky movies for canon films well i mean you have to th- i mean
1: i once thought that they pissed off someone or they were kind of like forgotten about because i know <laughs> a favorite actor of mine from the 60s david hedison that for a few years after voyage to the bottom of the sea had finally uh kind of uh um ended its uh voyage on the small screen he went to england for a few years i guess doing bbc stuff and stage work but uh i i mean when he sought to kind of resume his career it was basically guest shots on barnaby jones mm-hmm. and canon and just about every aaron spelling show and <laughs> live and let die did something for his career but it didn't i guess i mean it gave him some relevancy but obviously a far cry from his days in the flying voyage of the bottom of the sea
0: yeah we we so many guys have just had it rough to where i mean the ones who are just being loudmouths, you kind of find out after the fact when they have their own memoir and then there's other ones where it's like yeah I, I can just see that this person doesn't want to be here and i don't know why but you know well i know that kurt russell did his share of work with the likes of The Disney films,
1: uh, Mm -hmm. Cesar Romero. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that was pre or post-Batman. I think it was probably post-Batman. And uh, there was that series, The Travels of Jamie McFeeders, that Mm starred Dan O'Harely, who played Cochran in Halloween 3, and Grig, Grig, the alien pilot in The Last Starfighter, directed by Nick Castle, co-writer of uh, Escape from uh, New York. It all makes um, sense. (laughs) uh, And also co-starring with Charles Bronson. I forgot what that series was, but I seem to recall having heard that when Russell was on Jimmy Kimmel, he talked about how he got Charles Bronson a skateboard. And I'm just trying to envision Charles Bronson on a skateboard. <laughs> Not that I try and envision it, but.
0: Uh, yeah, I,
1: know, I don't know how that comes together. But And I actually saw Russell on a, a rerun of a late 60s show called The High Chaparral with, I believe, Steve Forrest. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> it's quite a. Quite a dig we're doing here. Um, so sorry, uh, sorry if I took it uh, out of no, several tangents. Away. It's been fun. Uh, hopefully, we described a bunch of fun encounters. I mean, <laughs> we can only describe so much of all the infiltrated and hang gliding, <laughs> that Mr. Well, well, the hang glider—that was a thing that I thought. Well, not that
1: I've ever been in a hang glider, but I guess I'm wondering how Escape from L.A. kind of stands up now, or for that matter, Escape from New York, when you have the drag troop and you have carjack malone i mean uh, i'm wondering if this will set the lgbtq community uh kind of uh calling for carpenter's head
0: eh doubt it i mean it was outdated tropes versus you know it wasn't meant to be a tasteless joke you know oh no no <laughs> i wasn't inferring it was but i'm sure you know the culture
1: now is basically you know, cracking down on every other word, even if it's meant with the best of intentions. I mean, but then again, that also plays some role. Uh, I forgot what, I mean, in Escape from New York, You, I mean, in Escape from LA, I mean, I, I forgot other than the standard offenses, you know, you can be arrested <laughs> because you're not a Christian. And I'm sure that some people <laughs> would say that's probably the next step if mm-hmm. the uh, Tea Party gets their way. Um not trying to get political, but um I forgot what some I think that's what Valeria Golino's character was in lockup was in uh the Who's Golf for.
0: yeah, they definitely make a lot of uh, inferring that they might have been outspoken activists or just had some just real just total betrayal <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. having to basically this is basically them all just getting a second shot and you know, they didn't expect it to be a dangerous mission with Mr. (laughs) Bluskin. But I mean, it just, maybe the second one seemed to have more
1: of a tone of parody because I mean, you had Bruce Campbell, who it's taken me a while to realize that the evil dead films are just gruesome slapstick comedies. And uh, I mean, when you look at, you know, he's the surgeon general and how basically everyone looks like what I'm sure. I mean, he'll look at Los Angeles as being a, the capital of that kind of work being done, I'm not sure if it's ever had results like that on the patients, but uh, <laughs> I gather it's probably an interesting commentary. I mean, I, I don't know how to, you know, uh, you know, look at the comment. I mean, other than you could say that, you know, in Escape from New York, you could say that, you know, you think of New York as a city of crime, and a few years later you have Bernard Goetz. So I guess you could. I'm not going to say that Snake Plissken was a uh, directly inspired Bernard gets, but I guess you have the impression well, New York is also the where Death Wish happened. I mean, of course you can cite a number of 70s antiheroes, whether it's Paul Kersey, Travis Bickle, The Punisher, um, uh, Clint East, I mean, Dirty Harry.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A thousand percent. They got some good ones and it's just cool to see these characters get honored
1: but i mean kurt russell is basically playing well he's not an anti-hero in um big trouble little china you get the impression that like plissken he's a guy who bucks the rules i mean you know Mm he he thinks having the big gun is what will save the day and yet when he uh as the climax is soon approaching the first thing he does is saying hey we're here and he fires the gun at the uh at the ceiling, and the and the bricks or whatever come down crashing on him. And then when he tries to kill one of the guards, and his knife gets stuck in him, and he's trying to get out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots and lots to uh, just soak up, and just like, I mean, just seeing all these fun, just character decisions and everything, where you're just like, man, these people actually envisioned this, you know. <laughs> But I'm sure that if they, I wonder. I
1: guess it. I guess Kurt Russell probably realizes he's probably too old to play Jack Burton again. I mean, maybe he'll be in a wheelchair now. But I mean, oh, when I'm you sure think the last, when you think the last scene, again, folks, you've had now uh, nearly 37 years to have seen the film.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: when you see the, I guess it's a sewer monster on the back of his truck. You know, you have the impression, you know.